Okay, happy Hanukkah. All right. Late. Sorry? Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, whoa. Did you press your own oil? What was this? Yes. Oil workshop real quick. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I did a demonstration for the kids. Basically, we take fresh olives, fresh raw olives from California, and put them in a press. Press the olives to get olive juice. Then we separate it through like a gravy separator type thing. And... um, and then we, what, what else do we do? And then we um, run it through a, cent, put it in beakers through a centrifuge, centrifuge in order to separate out the, the, the olive, the, the oil rises. And then we lit a menorah from it. So what took them eight days to get new oil back in the day, which is why we have the, the celebration, took me about 28 minutes. Not, not bragging, just saying, you know. But yeah, that's, that's exactly what we did. We pressed olives for the juice, for the oil. And, uh, How's your fun IJA activity? Say it again? A fun IJA activity. Yes. Yes, I'm doing it at I, I'm doing. Oh, IJA activity. Yeah, yeah, possibly. I like that stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe one, not this year. I'm out of, I'm out of olives. Um, <laughs> but I'm doing it for the preschool tomorrow. And I did it for the elementary school today, so... It's a party. All right. Let's welcome Ray. Good to see you, Ray. Hey. Welcome, welcome. Happy Hanukkah. All right. So today is day two of Hanukkah, which means that last night we lit the second candle. Tonight we're going to light the third candle. And so what better, what better opportunity, or there's no better opportunity, something like that, to discuss the story of Yosef. The story of Yosef, the story of Joseph always falls out during the time of Hanukkah. It's always this time of year. And certainly the idea of someone who rises up amidst darkness, rises up from a place of um, oppression, a place of, uh, you know, from a dungeon as a slave, and he rises to become viceroy of Egypt. This is certainly a, 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 an inspiring message of light overcoming and overwhelming darkness. So let's jump into today's reading where we read about Joseph's Ascent to become second in command. All right, I'm going to share my screen with you. The Torah portion, again, is Miketz. That's what it looks like, Miketz. Genesis chapter 41, beginning with verse 39. So this is, just to recap what we did yesterday, Pharaoh had two dreams about big cows being swallowed by little cows and big ears of grain being swallowed by little ears of grain. Pharaoh woke up and he realized that the dreams carry a message and he was anxious to learn what what message those dreams held for him. Well, all of his sorcerers and wise men could not give him a satisfactory explanation. The butler remembers, oh, there was a guy in prison with me, Joseph, some Jewish kid that used to be able to interpret dreams. They pull him out of the pit, pull him out of the dungeon dress him in nice clothes, stands before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dreams, and Joseph tells him the meaning of the dreams. And that is, as you, as you know, that there will be seven years of plenty, symbolized by the seven large cows and the seven robust ears of grain, seven healthy years for the country, followed by seven lean years, seven years of famine. And he said, what you need to do is appoint someone to be in charge to oversee this operation where you're saving, 
collecting and saving the food during the years of plenty to store up and to then have reserves for those years of famine, for the years of, um, uh, of, of where there's not going to be any food. And this interpretation absolutely thrilled Pharaoh. He was so excited about this interpretation. It resonated. It felt right. And he was excited to put this plan into action, saving the food to then use it when it was needed. So this is where we begin today's reading, which is reading number three for Tuesday. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has let you know all this, in other words, oh, and I should have mentioned, Joseph, before he interprets the dreams, he says, look, I, it's not me. It's God who interprets the dreams. And if God wishes to communicate with me the meaning, then I'll, I'm, I'm happy to share it. So Pharaoh says to Joseph, since God has let you know all this, back inside, there is no one as understanding and wise as you. In other words, you clearly have an in with God. God is clearly communicating with you because all of the other wise men, all of the so-called sorcerers, magicians, you know, those masters of, of spiritual connection, none came up with the answer, the interpretation to the dream like you. So you're the wisest and you have this connection with God. That's, uh, that's the opening for the offer, for the job offer. He says, verse 40, you shall be appointed over my household. Now, because of all this, therefore, you shall be appointed over my household. And through your command, all my people shall be nourished. In other words, you're going to be the one to oversee our food committee or agricultural department, whatever you want to call it. You're going to be the one overseeing the operation that you just described that Egypt needs. Only, look at this, only with the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh says to him, I'm going to put you in such a high position of leadership and responsibility. The only one above you is me. Only the throne, only the king, only Pharaoh himself, me, I'm above you. Otherwise, no one else tells you what to do. You're in charge. Understand, you know, hashtag sudden greatness. I mean, this guy, five minutes ago, you know, so to speak, was in prison. He was a, a Jewish slave in prison in Egypt, incarcerated in a dungeon. And now he's being offered viceroy of Egypt, second in command. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, verse 41, Look, I've appointed you over the entire land of Egypt. Get this, 42. And Pharaoh removed his ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's hand. In other words, he actually gave him one of his signet rings and he attired him with raiment of fine linen and he placed the golden chain around his neck. And he had him ride in his chariot of second rank. So again, he dresses him in royal garments. He gives him royal jewelry and all this stuff. And then he, now it's about, you know, showing everybody in the land that Joseph is in charge. So he had him ride in his chariot of, se of second rank. That means not the first chariot, that's for the king, but the second chariot. And they called out before him. This is the king's patron. This is, this is the guy. Appointing him over the entire land of Egypt. Verse 44, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, 
In other words, don't get any funny ideas here. I'm still Pharaoh. And besides you, or maybe I'm Pharaoh so I, can, I, I have the authority to, to, to appoint you. And besides you, no one may lift his hand or his foot in the entire land of Egypt. That's a powerful expression. Like, no one can, can lift his hand or foot without your permission. You're the one that signs off on anything and everything that's going on in this country. And Pharaoh named Joseph, he gave him a nickname. He called him Tzafnat Paneach. Tzafnat Paneach. And, okay, that, that's a, it's an interesting name. In fact, there's a great book by the Gon of Ragachav, the Ragachav Gon, called Tzafnat Paneach. Anyway, so he called him Tzafnat Paneach, and he gave him, Pharaoh gave him, Asnat, the daughter of Potiphar, the governor of On, for a wife. So Pharaoh is a matchmaker also. Who would have thought? Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match, right? Pharaoh is uh, finding a, a nice girl for, for Joseph. And who is she? Asnat, the daughter of Potiphar. You know who that was? Potiphar is Potiphar. The, his former employer, whose wife accused him of assault and rape and got him thrown in, in a dungeon. Their daughter, Asnat, ends up marrying Joseph. Interesting. Interesting plot twist. I mentioned that last week, or two weeks, uh, yeah, last week. But anyway, here's where we see it. He gave, him her, he gave her to him for a wife, and Joseph went forth over the, over the land of Egypt. In other words, he ruled over Egypt. How old was Joseph? Joseph was 30 years old. Oh, yeah, we were trying to figure out his age yesterday. There you go. It's clear right here. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So... He was sold as a slave by his brothers at 17. This is 13 years later. He's 30 years old. That's how old he was when he stood before Pharaoh. And Joseph went out from before Pharaoh and passed through the entire land of Egypt. He was a big macher. Yes. Um, I know we haven't formally become Jewish yet. Is that, is that why it's okay for Joseph to serve as the second in command on under a non-Jewish king? I think it would be fine anyway. I mean, there's no prohibition against... Yeah, there's no prohibition taking a political, uh, political appointment or position. A, Jewish, a Jew can be a vice president or even a president for that matter. That's not a problem. The, I thought you were going to ask about his wife. You know, he married us not. Like, was she Jewish? But that, that's the same... You know, we've had this question before. You know, the patriarchs and... What made anyone Jewish, as you know, is, was uh, a, a commitment to, to the monotheism and Judaism what, what, in whatever form it looked. So when that commitment was, was made and affirmed, done. Very simple process. I Again, when I thought of the question, I also answered it like you said, yeah, we can, of course, we serve in the American good. But I thought this is more, I don't know, biblical and it's a king. I don't know. It just feels different. No, it know? should be fine. It should be fine. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see that as being, as being a thing. What I want to do is, okay, so now we just read about the appointment of Joseph, and then the Torah is going to segue into discussing the plan of how he actually collects and stores the food. But before that, let's actually toggle some Rashis. We should have some interesting conversations. Yes, Ray. I have a question. Sure. If he was 17 and then he was... 30, was he in prison all those years? No, he was in prison. Good question. He was in prison, I want to say, 10 years, and then maybe another two years, maybe 12 years in prison. Like, he was supposed to be there for 10 years, but then he got, he got bounced out for another, um, for another two years because he relied on the butler to get him out instead of God. 
Um, so it might have been he was only working for Potiphar for one year before he got thrown into the slammer. It's possible. I think that's the timeline, if I recall correctly. It's one year, ten years, and two years. That's kind of the, the I believe that's the breakdown. Okay, now let's do some Rashi. Um, give me a second to find a Rashi. A lot of these are grammatical, you know, grammar-related things. Um, here we go. Let's talk about the, the ring. It says, Fair removed his ring. What's the, what's the deal with the ring? So Rashi explains the giving of the, of the king's ring is a sign to the one to whom it is given that he is to be second to him in greatness and rank. Basically, the giving of the ring was done by royalty to indicate that this person that's receiving the ring is now second in command. Okay. Um, by the way, what kind of chain did he get? A golden chain around his neck. Talk about jewelry for a moment, right? We always like talking about jewelry. So Rashi says, a chain. And because it consists of links placed in a row, it is called Rivid. And similarly, I've decked my couch, right? I think there's a song, deck my couch. No, deck my couch and I've decked my couch with rows of ornaments in the language of the Mishnah, surrounded by rows of stones, of stone, on the row of stone in the court, in the forecourt, which is the pavement. So when you're talking about like paving a road, like cobblestones, back in the day, you know, with stone. I think, if I'm not mistaken, who can verify this? Joy, can you help me verify this? Was Kanuga? Is do I have the name of the street right? Kanuga, near right across from um, Piedmont Park, that cut through. That street cut through, whatever. Was that, no, you don't, by Cantoni Furniture? Not, not where the preschool is, but on the other side. I think it used to be a cobblestone street, but they just paved. Is that true that they just paved it? Or maybe it was, maybe it's not been cobblestone for a while? Yeah, they, there was a cobblestone street. Well, for sure, the, yeah. The street where the preschool is is cobblestone. Right, that's for sure. But I think there was also another one that they just recently paved, but I could be wrong. Maybe they had paved it before. For some reason, I have in my head that Canuga, that street, was also cobblestone. But either way, I just thought of it when I saw stone, because I just drove on that street yesterday. I'm like, is this new? I can't, you know, like, you don't know if it's new or not. I, I hate that feel. It's, like, just awkward. But anyway, so putting stones in a row... Is, uh, is like Rovdin, it's the, the same Ravid, it's the idea of links in a row. So that was one of the pieces of jewelry that Pharaoh gave Joseph. Let's continue. What is the second chariot? Rashi explains, it's the one second to his chariot, which goes next to his. So it's not first chariot, second chariot, you know, front to back, it's si side by side, front and, uh, um, uh, sorry, side by side, chariot one, chariot two. Now, let's continue. The king's patron. Um, no, that's grammatical stuff. Here we go. I am Pharaoh. Look at, look at Rashi in 44. So when Pharaoh um, uh, appoints Joseph, he says, I am Pharaoh. What does that mean? I mentioned this in my, when I read it. I have the power to enact a decree upon my kingdom. In other words, I'm Pharaoh. So first of all, don't get any funny ideas. But also, I'm, I have the power to make you out of nowhere into someone in charge. And I decree that no one should raise his hand. In other words, as Pharaoh, as the one who can do such things, this is what I decree. Besides you means without your permission, no one should lift their hand or foot. Another interpretation, I shall be the king and besides you, this is parallel to only with the throne. 
right? Although I give you the, ex- and this is the, the first explanation that I said before, although I give you the exclusive power to raise your hand and foot, as explained below, I am still the supreme ruler of the land. So it's really both ways. And, and I, I reversed it when I read it earlier. I, I reversed the order of Rashi, but okay, you forgive me for that. But so number one, I'm Pharaoh, so I can make you second in command. Number two, I'm Pharaoh, you're only second in command. You're not, you're not the boss. I'm still the boss. Okay. Um, what does it mean, raise his hand or foot? Rashi says, as the Targum renders, no man shall raise his hand to bear arms or his foot to ride a horse. Look at that. So no arms, I mean no like armaments and no um, riding horses. Without, with, yeah, yeah, right. All right, so the Talmud actually says that a slave um, cannot have any uh, position of uh, royalty. Nice. And that the astrologers were very upset with disappointment. I thank you for filling. Perfect. Thank you for filling that in. That's very important because that explains why. He has to say, I'm Pharaoh, and I'm going to make you in charge no matter what. What, what would be the pushback? So Ray just, thank you, Ray, for filling it in. The Talmud says, because he was a slave. We know he was, a, he was sold into slavery in Egypt, to, to Egypt. So he was a slave. And the rule was, like in America, you know, you can't be a president if you're, I think if you're not born here, right? Something like that. Anyway, this guy, not only was he a foreigner, he was a slave to boot. That, they had rules. So their, their constitution, if they had such a thing, said that you can't, it can't be a, a position of, 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 of leadership. Of, you can't be in, in charge if you are a slave. And so Pharaoh says, all right, but I'm changing the rules because I'm Pharaoh. And his astrologers were upset. By the way, it's interesting. This pattern, just par- parenthetically, this pattern repeated itself countless times throughout, throughout history. Countless times throughout his, Jewish history. The king, kings appointed Jews to prominent leadership positions within the government. And there were the other, um, those that weren't Jewish, individuals of other faiths, who were also in positions. And they oftentimes looked negatively at the Jews and tried to oust them. We know stories with Maimonides. Maimonides was the royal physician. There were others who wanted to be the royal physician and were envious of Maimonides and consistently trying to take him down. They would, they would plot against him and sabotage what he did and try to sabotage what he did and um, stir up trouble, all sorts of uh, things to, to tear him down. And this, I'm just anecdotally telling you about Maimonides, but this went on throughout history in various, uh, various situations. So it's interesting here what Ray said, that the astrologers, in other words, the spiritual people, of, of Egypt, they were jealous and they didn't want Joseph to be that position, second in command. They wanted to be. And so they cited the rules. Hey, he can't be. He's, the, he's a slave. To which Pharaoh replies, Ani paro. I am, I am Pharaoh. I got this. Thank you very much. I got this. Um, okay. Oh, Rashi explains, what's Safna Panech? That was the nickname that Pharaoh gave him. That he, so what does that mean? Rashi explains, he who explains hidden things. Tzavnat paneach means he who explains hidden things. And Rashi says paneach, that word paneach, has no parallel in scripture. You'll never find another word in the entire scripture that is, that is a sister word. You know how sometimes you can figure out words in context? Like even if you don't know the meaning of word, but if you see it in a few different places, you can figure out context? That's how sometimes the, scholar, the sages figured out a meaning of a word based on context. Paneach has no context. There's no other... I mean... 
other than this, there's no other source. So it's explained from Targum Unkelis that Tzavah means he who explains hidden things, which makes sense because Joseph explained the hidden meaning of the dream that's explaining hidden things. Potifera. Oh, look at this one. Wow. Not going to skip this one, but I don't know if that I can explain it. Why Potifera? Who's Potifera? He was Potifar. But he was called Potifera because he became emasculated since he desired Joseph for homosexual relations. Which, te- which makes us realize that the whole family was in on it. Potiphar desired Joseph. Potiphar's wife desired Joseph. Potiphar's daughter married Joseph. There you go. Once again, complicated Thanksgiving dinner, I'm just going to say. Very, very complicated situation. All right. Moving, again, can I explain that? I'm sure it's elaborate on the Talmud somewhere or the Medrash, but that's what we got. That's Rashi. Um, by the way, Rashi is for the five-year-old. I mean, not exactly for the five, but like for the, the Ra- Rashi says in his intro that he's writing his commentary for the basic meaning of the text. Oh yeah, it is the Talmud. So it's the 13b. Here you go. Talmud says it. Okay. We have to look up the Talmud to get more context, but that's the idea. But anyway, Rashi is straightforward interpretation, which means that this is not just a Talmudic, you know, extrapolation of it. This somehow is relevant to understanding the, the basic meaning of the text. It doesn't have to be for a five-year-old. It's just a way of expressing it that it's like a basic understanding. Next, let's continue. Um, oh, I think we're up to, I think we're good. I think we're up to um, new text, 47. Okay, let's hide Rashi so we have a cleaner picture here. And let's read about how Joseph actually went about um, saving, gathering, gathering, saving, collecting the food. Rashi, uh, sorry, the Torah says, And in the seven years of plenty, the inhabitants of the land gather food by, the, by handfuls. Oh, seven years of plenty, people had so much food, it was out of control. And Joseph collected, he is Joseph, Joseph collected all the food of the seven years. That was in the land of of Egypt. And he placed food in the cities. Listen to this. He placed food in the cities. The food of the field surrounding the city he put within it. As Rashi explains, certain crops grow in certain certain areas. Right? Not everything grows everywhere. I just had a recent, let's just have a schmooze. I just had a recent situation where I found this out to be true. So, as you may know, a few moments ago, about an hour ago, I was knee-deep in olives, right? Did I mention that before? Right? Why was I knee-deep in olives, elbow-deep in olives? Because I was making olive oil with the kids here at school. I, I was demonstrating pressing olives and making olive oil ultimately out of it. Where, where did I get olives, you may ask? Yeah? Where do you get olives in Atlanta? Yeah? So I called, I called some stores, some farmer's market. No one has fresh olives. I then called the Georgia Olive Grove. There's like a Georgia or Georgia Olive something. There's like a whole collective thing. I called a bunch of people that are the growers of olives in Georgia. You know what they told me? You missed the harvest. The harvest is in September in Georgia. All the olives are gone. There's nothing on the trees. There's nothing, there's nothing left. And all of the olives that were harvested 
You can't leave them around for a month or two. You know what happens to olives? They immediately start fermenting. Yeah, you can't. Olives don't. Yeah, that's not how it works. So they said, all of the olives that we picked, we've already pressed into oil. I'm like, you beat me to it. That's what I was going to do. They're like, yeah, we did it a month, two months ago. Anyway, bottom line is that in California, though, olives are grown. And in some places, forget about olives. Right? I'm, just, I'm just, you know, olives on my brain right now. But forget olives. You have certain foods that grow in certain parts of the country and certain foods that grow in other parts of the country. So, for example, what is Florida famous for? Oranges. 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 Good, good. What's Georgia famous for? Peanuts. Peaches. Peaches and peanuts. Good, right? That's not, I was thinking peaches. Not a, well, there are, but there are olive groves in, uh, in, in Georgia. Who knew, right? I didn't know either. I, I knew it out of desperation because I was like frantically searching for olives. I called up some places. Like I called up like an Italian market or something. I'm like, you know, who knows? Like maybe. I'm like rolling the dice here on the phone. I'm like, happen to have fresh olives. Like, yeah, we have olives. I'm like, great. I'm like, fresh raw olives? No, they're in like oil and a, a shrink wrap in a bag. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about like actual olives. Anyway, so things don't grow. So when Yosef collected, when Joseph collected the food from Egypt, what he did was, let's let Mark into the party. When Joseph collected food um, in the years of, of plenty, seven years of plenty, he kept the food, he stored the food in the cities in which they grew. Does that make sense? Yes. The whole Chachma is, the whole brilliance is of Joseph was that he knew that things need to be in their native space. Right? You pull it out of its native space, he even, it's not, it might not be so good. He even put soil, some of the original soil, together with the food as a preservative. Now, do people do that today when you store food? Do they put some of the soil? I have no idea. No. I have, well, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I have no idea. What, is somebody in the world doing that? I would probably say yes. I would bet, if I had a bet, if I had to put money down in it, I would say that someone is using that as a technique today. I would just... We do, we do have spiritual energy, like, like the sand of Israel or something. We want the spiritual energy. But this was more of a pragmatic situation. In fact, in fact, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you Rashi so we can see this inside for ourselves. And you'll see. You'll see what I'm referring to. Well, Take, Joseph said that he's the one for the job, right? You see that? Guy. You see that? He's, uh, he's, a smart, he's a smart man. Look at this. Rashi right here, 48. Because each land preserves its own produce. Yeah? Each land preserves its own produce. And they would put into the grain, into the grain, some of the soil of the place. Judaism's gifts to the world. There you go. Judaism's gifts to farming. They put into the grain that they stored some of the soil of the local soil and it would preserve the grain and prevent it from decaying and i'm telling you i'm telling you I, without knowing i have zero information this is not based on anything but i have a feeling i have a hunch that somewhere someone is doing something like this hydroponics I, I don't know that this is hydroponics. I'm just saying I, there's something about the native soil, something about that native soil that is, um, that's, uh, that's beneficial. All right, 
Let's get back inside. Let's look at the text. So we have Joseph rocking it. He's, he's doing his thing. Take a look. I mean, what's also interesting, like you said, you know, so basically you, you, you don't forget your roots, but you can still experience other places. So just having a bit of... Ah, excellent. Look at Donna. Look at you. Wow. <laughs> You're getting like mystical on me. I love it. And I love it. So yes, when you keep some of your roots with you, keep some of the soil, you'll never go bad. You'll always stay, always stay fresh and you know, always, always uh, remain true. Beautiful. I love it. All right. Let's continue with the narrative. And Joseph gathered grain like the sand of the sea. That means a lot. In great abundance. Until one stopped counting because there was no number. Look at this. They collected. Listen to this. They collected and preserved, saved, so much grain that there was no number. They started counting. Yeah, they started counting. They stopped counting because there's no number. They ran out of numbers. Now, I think today, I, my niece, my niece um, memorized, you know, pi, the number pi? Yeah, the formula pi. She memorized, I don't know, I want to say a few hundred of those digits of pi. It keeps on going. Um, she just got a job with Google. Anyway, I'm just saying. So like, but she, she memorized a lot, of, a lot of this stuff. But we're talking about numbers that have no number. Like you get to a certain point back in the day, at least for sure. And, and they, at some point they just said, the accountants are like, there's a lot. There's a lot of grain. How much? More than we can count. There's just too much grain. Not too much. A lot of grain. Let's continue. The narrative gets personal. And to Joseph were born two sons before the year of the, before the, year of the famine set in. So remember, there were seven years of plenty. So during those seven years, Joseph got married and he had two sons. So he had two sons born to whom? Whom Asnat, the daughter of Potipharah, the governor of On, bore to him. So he had two sons with his wife, Asnat, the daughter of Potipharah. As we spoke about before, why that name Potipharah? Potiphar. Cut a little bit. All right, whatever. Anyway, back to the story. He had two sons. What's the significance of the fact that the Torah emphasizes that these two sons were born before the year of the famine? Listen to this. Our sages tell us that when the famine sets in, it's not appropriate to engage in procreation. That's what, the, that's what our sages tell us. They derive that from this verse. From here, and just in case you want to see the original from Tainit, Rashi says, from here is derived, from here we learn that a person may not engage in marital relations during years of famine. When the world is in a state of hunger, and, you know, everything is uh, in a state of, of, of intense, I don't know what the right word is, pain and suffering. It's not appropriate to, uh, to engage in those activities, those activities, engage in marital relations. That's according to the Talmud, how it applies, um, how we might apply it to, uh, in modern times, I am not, I'm not weighing in on that right now. That's, that's not, not, not my specialty of, uh, you know, this area of law. Just saying that that's, uh, that's what we learned from the fact that it says that the two sons were born before the year of the, before the, year of the famine. 
before the year of the famine set in. For the years of famine, or whatever. Either way. All right, let's continue. What about his two sons? What were their names? Joseph named the firstborn Menashe, for God has caused me to forget. Menashe means to forget. God caused me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. In other words, I have a bit of happiness in my life. A bit of, I, I'm forgetting the agony, the pain of my, of my youth, the trauma. I'm forgetting my trauma a little bit with the son. And the second one, second son, he named Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So he's growing. The first son means I've been able to put away the trauma. And the second one is I can actually be happy, right? There's forgetting my father's house, forgetting the, the, the trauma of my youth. And then there's being fruitful and being... So these are two, step one, step two. It always works, step one, step two. Step one is try to put away the, 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 the block. Step two is grow. Yeah, joy. But could it also mean that God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction, that I shouldn't forget that this I am have, I'm in affliction in this land even though... I mean, like I am blessed, interesting, interesting. But I also need to remember my troubles. Interesting. I like that. I like that a lot. In other words, he's not just saying everything is amazing. He still calls it the land of my affliction, which means he still knows that it's not home, or he still knows that it caused, he had a lot of, he had 13 years of anguish here, etc. I like that. I like that because it, it, it gives us a more nuanced understanding of Joseph and where his head is at. And it's easy, it's much easier to, any character, to paint characters in, you know, very, um, I don't know, black and white tones, very monochromatic, no, that's the wrong word, very um, monolithic or binary tones. Like either he's happy or he's sad. He's happy now, great. It, but it's more nuanced. He's, he's, he's happy and he's celebrating, but he knows it's still the land of my affliction. I like that. Okay, so Menashe and Ephraim, according to Kabbalah, these are two steps. Menashe means pushing away the negative. Ephraim means indulging in the positive. Ultimately, the goal is Ephraim, but you gotta get you gotta go through Menashe to get to Ephraim, right? One, two. The ultimate goal is two. The ultimate goal is to be fruitful and to be active and to be successful and all that stuff. But to do that, you gotta quiet those voices or push away the trauma and and, and all that. You gotta at least on, on a functional level got to be able to put that aside to be able to move, to move forward. The goal is ultimately to move forward, but step one is the Menashe, step two is the Ephraim. Okay, that, that's reading number three. Looking at time, I think we could, we could jump into reading four a little bit. Right? How do we usually do it? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Oh, well, we have Thursday this week. So the question is if we need to... Question if we need to do reading for now. So Friday we can do one, two. Let's do a little bit of let's do a little bit of this reading because maybe tomorrow we'll do like the second half of four and five. Let's we'll we'll, we'll split four. All right. Let's again. Let's just figure this out. So Wednesday we'll do Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Okay, let's do a little bit. Let's do a few more verses. Let's finish up chapter 41, even though we're at the end of a reading, but let's, let's do a few more verses. All right, fast forward, end of seven years. The seven years of plenty that were in the land of Egypt were finished. So now we're at the end of the first set of seven years. And just like predicted, 
the seven years of famine began. Right on cue, as Joseph had said. And there was famine in all the lands. Oh, all the lands. The entire region, not only Egypt, the entire area was absolutely beset with famine. But throughout the land of Egypt, there was bread. Why was there bread? Because there was grain. Why was there grain? Because they collected it and preserved it. I'm sure they picked out the soil, right, before they made it into bread. But they had, they had the food. So seven years of famine begin, everyone else is wiped out. No one has food. Egypt is rocking and rolling. When the entire land of Egypt hungered, why did they hunger if they had food? The government, yeah, the government was storing it. They had, the government, Yosef, Joseph, had collected it and stored it. Not, but the people were hungry because their farms, the stores, not, no one had food. I have a friend. A second. Who tweeted this? Friend from Texas. Not my brother-in-law, who's also a friend, but someone else. Another Chabad rabbi. Jews will literally celebrate an ancient eight-day supply chain shortage by eating donuts and by eating donuts, and people still question the secret to Jewish survival. I mean, seriously. Anyway, that was the tweet. Um, yeah, so there's a supply chain shortage, or there's a food shortage in Egypt, and the people, are hung and the people were hungry. They were, they were starving. And so the people cried out back inside, 55. The people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. But Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, don't look at me. Go to Joseph. What he tells you, do. Joseph, he's in charge He's, got, he's the man with the plan. He organized, saved, preserved, collected all the food. He's the guy. Now the famine spread over all the face of the land. That means everywhere. And Joseph opened all the storehouses in which there was grain. And he sold it to the Egyptians. What a guy. What a guy. He took it from them. He taxed them. And then when they wanted it back or when they wanted to eat, what did he do? He sold it. And the famine, and by, by, at the end of the Torah portion, maybe not this one, maybe the next one. I'm trying to remember which Torah portion it is. Anyway, the Torah gets into detail about how he sold it and how they, pot, they paid for it, whatever. Anyway, but he sold it back to the Egyptians and the famine intensified in the land of Egypt. So the famine was, was in, it got worse and worse and worse and people were hungry and Pharaoh said, go to Joseph. And Joseph said, it's available for purchase. And all the inhabitants of the land came to Egypt. Oh, listen to this. All the inhabitants of the land, that means the larger land area, right? The whole region, they all came to Egypt, to Joseph, to purchase food. For the famine had intensified in the entire land. That means everywhere. And this leads us to the famine hitting the land of Canaan, the land of Israel as well. And Joseph, sorry, Jacob, Joseph's father, needing food, or at least telling his sons that we need food. And the, the, the ten brothers, the ones that were involved in the original sale, coming down to, to Egypt to buy food and coming face to face with Joseph. All that tomorrow as we begin Genesis chapter 42. Okay, 
So we're in the middle of reading number four. I think we got, we got the narrative. It's a, there's no end to the drama. And to me, it's such an enjoyable narrative. Um, and I hope it made sense. I, I think I want to just quickly focus on just to, as we, uh, yeah, Joy, jump in. So go back to 55 and flip over to Rashi and see what he says on that. Because it looks like they did store ah, the second paragraph. Excellent. 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 I love this. Thank you very much. Look at this. Rashi explains what happened. Why is it that the people of Egypt hungered if they saved? Didn't they also save? Rashi explains, for the grain which they had stored had decayed, except that of Joseph. They also saved. When they saw the government saving, they also saved, but all their grain spoiled. Why? Rashi explains the next Rashi. Since Joseph had ordered them to circumcise themselves. Oh, there we go. There must have been another Rashi. Okay, I'm not going to go back. But there's another Rashi that says that Joseph told them. When Pharaoh said, whatever Joseph tells you to do, do. Joseph wanted to preempt any discomfort ultimately for his brothers when they would come down as being the only, uncircum the only circumcised men. So he said, everyone's going to have a bris. So since Joseph had ordered them to circumcise themselves, and when they came to Pharaoh and said, this is what he said to us, right? We don't like this guy. I don't want, we don't want to do circumcision. So Pharaoh said to them, why didn't you gather grain? Didn't he announce to you that the years of famine were coming? They replied, we gathered much, but it rotted. So Pharaoh replied, if so, then do whatever he tells you. He issued a decree upon the grain and it rotted. What if he issues a decree upon us and we die? He wants you circumcised, get circumcised. Maybe he made them circumcise themselves when they wanted to buy the grain. Something, one of those two. Anyway, very, very interesting. Let's, let's go back and see if we can find the circumcision reference in reading number three toward the end over uh, there. Yes. Yeah, I have a note on that. It says, um, since Pharaoh said, uh, Asher, so small, uh, Asher Yomar Lachem, whatever he says to you, rather yeah. than just uh, Asher uh, Yomar, whatever he says, Joseph must have told him to do something. To, the, uh, to yourselves, uh, in other words, to circumcise themselves. That's Matnos Kachuna to gracious Rabbah. What's that, Talmud? That's a commentary on the Medrash. That's a commentary. Okay. But you, I, I just highlighted, I highlight on the Hebrew side, the Lachem. Right? Okay. Uh, it says, it says, Gemara says that the lack of food can be a punishment for sexual immorality. The Egyptians were a licentious people. Joseph warned them to circumcise themselves in the hope that it would reduce their lust thereby mitigate the famine. That's Deferish Yonatan. Uh, uh, yeah. Alternatively, just as Joseph moved the people from city to city so that when his brothers would come to Egypt, they would not be ridiculed as exiles, um, so did he now tell the Egyptians to circumcise themselves so that when his brothers would come, they would not become objects of ridicule uh, to, the un to the uncircumcised Egyptians. Right, and that was the last one that I quoted that one before a moment ago, saying he wanted to make his brothers ultimately more comfortable when they would settle there. He had a vision about how this is going to play out, and he realized somehow he, had, he knew that his brothers, his family was going, to move, was going to move to Egypt. He wanted to make them feel more comfortable, but I like the other ones as well. Um, the idea that he... Um, that he wanted them to be less immoral or whatever, and some of circumcision does that. Anyway, bottom line is, Joseph was rocking it. Joseph had collected the food, stored the food, preserved the food in a way that didn't rot. Everyone else's food rotted. Now you want Egyptian food? 
You got you to gotta pony up the cash for it. And this was not just for the Egyptians. This was for everybody. I want to conclude, and the, the takeaway, just to go back to reading three at the end, we're talked about Menashe and Ephraim, um, because in our lives, as I mentioned before, we each have a Menashe, we each have an Ephraim. The Menashe is our ability to push away the negative. Ephraim is our calling to engage in the positive. Sur push away the negative and engage in good. You need both. You need to do both. There's, a, there's an expression in the, in the Talmud. You know, when you go to mikvah, it's a ritual purifying bath. Some, the, one of the reasons why you might need to go to mikvah is if you came in contact with a dead rodent. If you touched a dead rodent, then you would have to go to, back in the day, you have to go to mikvah because it rendered one ritually impure. Well, what if you go into mikvah and you're holding the dead rodent in your hand? Right? No, no I, I, maybe the, the visual is not, is not so nice, especially if you're, if you're eating lunch or something. But uh, it, it's an expression in the town, but tovel v'sheretz biado. It's like, it's like dunking in a mikvah. It's like immersing in a mikvah with the sheretz, with the rodent, that rodent in your hand. It's like, it doesn't work. So it's kind of like, I have another story. It's also gross. You know stuff, you know stuff derma? Kishka? Yeah, kishka? Okay. So back in the day, they used to make kishka with actual kishka, with the kishkas, with the, with the intestines. Okay? So one time, this, this villager goes over to the big city, and he gets invited to a, to a wealthy man's house, and he served this amazing dish. I can't get enough of it. Oh, what is this? Tell him stuffed, it's, it's kishka, it's stuffed derma. How do you do it? You take the, take the intestines, and you, you put this, you know, you put, you put this, this is the, these are the ingredients. Comes home, tells his wife, we got to make this. It's unbelievable. Tells, tells her the ingredients, and, and, and she makes it, we taste it. It's terrible. Again, she makes it a second time. It's terrible. Eventually, he has another business trip or some other reason to go back to the city. He says to the, to the fellow, I, we tried to make it at home. It didn't work. The guy's like, wait a second. Tell me, did you clean out the, did you clean out the kishka first? Sorry, Mark. Anyway, the point is like this. The point is that you could put all you could put all the best ingredients in, but if you're you gotta first clean out. You with me on this? And I, by the way, kishka today nowadays is wrapped in a paper. Don't worry, it's not it's not, no actual kishka is used in the creation of kishka, at least the one that you, know you what buy. Head cheese is? Have you heard of head cheese? I do not know head cheese. Yeah, yeah my father used to have that. It's it's all sorts of innards chopped up and then in a gelatin and it's a loaf. It was a delicate Amazing. There's also yeah. pacha. I don't know if that's pacha. Yeah, that's right. There's okay, pacha, okay. which is also a Russian thing. Anyway, pe- people would eat interesting things. I'm more of a... Interesting. I, I, Can we go back to donuts, Thank you. Donuts, latkes, kugel. I like some cauliflower with some olive oil and spices. You know, that always tastes good. Yes, especially if you're in the su- if you're in the subway, the assumption is at some point. No, but but in all seriousness, here's the deal: you can we can introduce good things and nice things and whatever, but at the end of the day, we still got to clean out what needs to be cleaned out. So that's why you have the menasha, the frayim. First sumera, we got to get rid of the the negative. Then vasitov. It's like if you're redecorating a house. First thing you're going to do is pull out the old furniture, the old, you know, whatever, and then you're going to put in the nice stuff. You're not going to move in a new couch with the old couch sitting there. The first, you're not going to install a new washer dryer with the old one sitting there. You're first going to pull out the old stuff and then put in the new stuff. 
So this is a good reminder for us. The Rebbe said, however, that in our generation, because you know we're a little, we need things a little bit more instant, it wouldn't be so terrible to start with the positive. Start with the positive, and as you have more positive, then automatically you feel more invested in getting rid of the negative. Are you with me on that? In other words, the more light you have, the more you're like, oh, that, that, that doesn't look nice in here. Let me take it out. Because if we're waiting till we take out all the negative, we may be waiting for a while. That's just the reality of, of who we are today. But the more good stuff comes in, it's, it's kind of like a psychological, spiritual psychological trick. It's like, wait a second. I'm a guy that does all these good things. Maybe I should, maybe, why am I still doing such and such? Let me get rid of that. Are you with me on that? Instead of saying, let me get rid of that and let me, then I'll start doing the nice stuff. Let's start doing more positive things. And then automatically the negative stuff is just not going to have a space in our lives and we'll get rid of it. So what I'm suggesting is the OG, the original formula is Menashe and then Ephraim. Get rid of the negative, bring in the positive. But we're forgiven. We'd be forgiven if we want to reverse it today. Either way, light your light, and then the darkness will dissipate. All right, thank you very much for joining me today for DPP. It is great to see you. And uh, we'll catch you tomorrow. Same bad time, same bad channel. Lighting tonight at Atlantic Station, I believe, is 6 p.m., but let me confirm that. Let me head quickly to Facebook. Thank you, and thank you for reminding me of that. Um, Atlantic. Atlantic. Station. Menorah Lighting. 6 p.m. And where is it going to take place? It's going to take place at... Join us on Atlantic Green. I guess the, the green space. Oh, yeah, the green space. They do film. They do screen, film screenings over there. I know where that is. It's right by the... Um, what stores? By the H&M, I think, like next to the H&M or whatever. Anyway, so there's the green space over there. Festive menorah lighting, latkes, donuts, music, and a good time. There you go. 6 p.m. 6 p.m. And I will be... Please, God, I will be there. I wasn't there Sunday. I was still traveling. But please, God, I will be there um, tonight. All right. Good to see you all. Happy Hanukkah. Thank you. Keep this radio spinning. See you guys. Take care.